Today is uh, January the 28th. In the year 2004, we are in the Deer Park uh, Monastery during our winter retreat. This morning we have uh, a session of questions and answers. And you are not supposed to ask questions about Buddhism. <laughs> you ask the kind of questions that can help uh, Help us, help yourself, help your beloved one to, to get out of a difficult situation. To see the path of practice, to see the path of transformation in order to bring back our joy, our communication, our harmony. Ask the question that can bring back uh, the pure land, the kingdom of God, that can bring life back to our heart. So those of you who have a real question, the question of the heart, you are invited to come and sit close here and you take turn to sit on this chair. It's hot. meditation hall and I asked the oracle to give me the opportunity to ask this question. Before the sangha, I wanted the sangha to hear my question. Several years before I met you, Tai, I had a dream and in the dream you held me in a very tight embrace and you asked me, you said, promise me, promise me to simplify the sacred stories. And my first response was, I have no idea what you want me to do. 
I have no idea how to do this. And I told you that. And you held me even tighter and you said, I will not let you go until you promise. In this dream, you were my teacher. I knew that. So when I had the opportunity to finally um, meet you, I knew that the first thing that I had to do was to become your student. And that was seven years ago. And every, every time I've come to a retreat, probably every day since then, I've kept that question as my personal koan. Oh, I wanted to also tell you that when I, when I finally did promise you in the dream, in actuality, lightning struck the tree outside the room where I was sleeping. And I woke up feeling like I had made um, an incredible promise, but I had no idea how I was going to fulfill it. So the question I've always wanted to ask you was, what did you mean by, <laughs> by the sacred stories? Um, because whatever you ask me to do, I, I have to do. You're sure it was me? The night after I first met you at the first retreat, I had another dream that lightning, <laughs> lightning struck the tent that I was sleeping in. <laughs> Anhung also wants me to tell you that um, I'm a writer and an artist and, and I um, write children's stories, and I've had a couple of books published for children. And there's a story of mine in the uh, latest mindfulness spell. Whether in the dream, or in daily life, in, in the, during the day, the person you talk to is always part of yourself. The person you talk to uh, is not uh, a, is not really uh, a, an entity that is uh, separated from you. Uh, that is uh, a creation of your mind. Uh, 
the person that sits in that sit in front of, of you is somehow the creation of your mind to some degree. It depends on on the occasion. Sometimes uh, he or she is uh, one a creation of your mind to 100%. Sometimes it is less. Maybe there are uh, 20%, 30%, 50% uh, uh, but um, anyway it is a collective uh, uh, a creation of the collective consciousness and that is true whether it is in the dream or outside so don't, don't think that uh, the other person is wholly uh, other than yourself so when the others tell you something it means you are telling that you are telling that to you Understand? Yes. And you, when you write a story for children, it's not only you who are writing that, but the children are collaborating with you in order to write that. And you are the children at the same time. You listen to your own writing, your own story. So with, with that in mind, uh, you can see things uh, better and more deeply. Um, if you keep in mind that there is something that should be done, a project, um, something that that you want to realize in order for happiness to be possible. And that kind of uh, the tendency, that way of thinking may become an obstacle. We have to learn to see that uh, you don't have to become someone else. You don't have to go anywhere else. You don't have to wait until next life or in the future in order to get it. You can get it, you can be that in the here and the now. You are already what you want to become. Uh, the dream is already realized in the here and the now. And with that, you are free. So uh, if, um, if you have been asked to do something, and if you are caught in that kind of uh, urge, uh, request, you might be caught for a long time. That is why uh, live in such a way that uh, you can be free from it. Uh, enjoy the pure land in the here and the now. Enjoy the kingdom of God in the here and the now. Uh, the Buddha, um, his pure land. Uh, liberation, understanding, happiness, they are all available in the here and the now. Mm. You can say that uh, a retreat like this one has, is created for us to come and enjoy. Uh, and uh, practicing means enjoyment. Yeah. Because, because if you are able to, uh, to walk in the pure land, in the here and the now, 
and enjoying every step you make. Why do you have to practice anymore? Practice means enjoyment. And you are free. And this can be done in the here and the now. That is the teaching of Ling Chi. You have arrived. You are home. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. And happiness can be there right away. I hope that uh, has removed your question from your mind. question is uh, about how to maintain in a pure land, how to cultivate the capacity to, to stay in the pure land. The other day I was, when I was standing in line and um, the voice of a woman asked, said to me from behind, she said, if you ever decide not to be a nun anymore, you can be, you can work for the UN, for the United Nations. And I just turned halfway back and I said, why would I want to do that? And she said, maybe it's a bad joke, but... <laughs> She thinks that I'm a very good translator and I can work as a translator for the United Nations. Kofi Annan. Kofi Annan is the Tổng Thư Ký Liên Hợp Quốc. I know that you have taught us a lot. As long as we're still grateful, then we're happy. The moment that we're not grateful, then we're not happy anymore. In our tradition in Vietnam, we also talk about merits, how to cultivate your merits, because to be here as nuns and monks, we have a lot of merits, because many people, they dream to live the life of um, such gentleness, of such uh, joy, but they never get themselves here. But we have that, we have this chance to do that because we have had many merits. 
How do we cultivate our gratitude and our merits when the mind may be full of confusion, may be, may be full of um, discrimination, of blaming, of comparison? You look around and you may think others are not as good as you or others may not understand where you are, where you have been. Others are this, others are that. I know that recently in our, in Plum Village, when one sister, she left the community. And when I came to see her that morning, I had to talk myself into it because I really didn't know what to talk, to, what to say to her. And when I came to her room, she lay there with a whole blanket above covering her. And I just said, please forgive me because my practice is not strong enough that I'm not able to help you. She never sat up, she never pulled a blanket down to look at me or any sisters who came in. But I know she was not entirely angry because I, I held her foot and she didn't kick me. <laughs> but I really feel she left because she has used up all of her merits. In the community, she didn't have sisterhood. She just took care of herself. And when she left, it was hard to really come to talk to her, to really be there for her. So how do we cultivate our gratitude? How do we cultivate those merits so that one day I myself don't run out of those things and my brothers and sisters, we don't use up all of those things and then we find ourselves out there, away from the pure land. Thank you. The sister Dangiem has been translating Thai Dhamma talks from Vietnamese to English, and so many people who come here appreciate that. And uh, one day, standing in line, she thought that 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 lady thought that well, well, what a good translation this nun is. But um, maybe someday she will not like to be a nun anymore, and then she should go to the UN and take a job here, out there, because she translates very well. But in the UN, you have to use other terms. You, don't, you, you will not be using uh, the here and the now, <laughs> the terminology they use there is completely different. <laughs> And I think uh, that lady standing behind Siko Dangyemu uh, had some uh, compassion in her, in herself. 
She said that, well, maybe uh, she enjoyed the life of a nun now, but maybe later on she, she will quit. And then uh, this is a, a suggestion that if she, she quit, and then she can go there and take up uh, a, a job. And she was thinking of, uh, of, uh, of uh, being a nun is like a, a job, a career, a job. Uh, but a nun does not receive any salary. At the UN you can re- you receive a salary, but here you no salary at all. It's true that uh, what you can offer can make people very happy. In uh, in Buddhism, we 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 speak about uh, three kinds of offering. Uh, first is uh, to offer uh, money, uh, material resources, tai thi, for those who are sick, for those who are poor, those who need some money, some food, some medicine. And the second thing we can offer people is uh, Pati, the Dharma. The Dharma can help uh, people to, uh, to, to transform themselves, uh, to get some joy trans- uh, and healing, and so on. And the third kind of uh, offering is called uh, non-fear. And that is... Uh, a great kind of uh, offering. Because if you have non-fear in you, mm, uh, you can be very happy. But as, as uh, good practitioners, we, we should not be dogmatic about uh, in, our, in our way of learning and practicing. There may be the fourth kind of uh, offering or the fifth kind of offering, so it should keep, it should continue to to help the Buddha, to uh, to offer the teaching in such a way that people can can see that the teaching is for their time, their society, and so on. You can offer people a sangha, and that is what the Buddha has has done. He offered our planet a Sangha, a fourfold Sangha that survived until today. The Sangha of monks, nuns, laymen, and laywomen. Here is the Sangha. We are the continuation of the Buddha's Sangha. And we are offering people something, a refuge. The Sangha is a great refuge. When people come to the Sangha, they can take refuge. And who is the one offering? And what is the object of offering? Well, the Sangha is ourselves. When we offer the Sangha, we are offer ourselves. At the same time, because we are part of the Sangha, we are Sangha builders. Sangha builders and Sangha, well, are not two separate entities. So, Sangha building is a very wonderful practice. You, build, you can build a Sangha. You don't need to have a, 
a cell phone or a computer in order to build a Sangha. You can build a Sangha by uh, practicing walking meditation, practicing mindful breathing and smiling. You make the Sangha into a real Sangha, into a beautiful one, into a Sangha with harmony and with happiness. You, can, you, you build the Sangha, you do the work of Sangha building all day, all day long. With your thinking, with your speech, and with your bodily action, you continue to build a Sangha, and you make that offering all day long. See? And you are the one who received the offering at the same time. So it's no subject, no object, it's a wonderful practice. And what you can offer more? You can offer the pure land. You can offer the kingdom of God. And that is not something so difficult. That can be done in the here and the now, right in the moment. You offer yourself the kingdom of God. You offer yourself the pure land of the Buddha. And you offer the ones who come to you. This is uh, something that's not a dream at all. This is what we can do right away. What else you can offer? That offering is the greatest. And yet we can do it in the here and the now. Uh, someone believed that uh, happiness is not possible without some uh, wealth, some power, some fame, and sex. And they keep running after these kind of things. And the more they run, the more they suffer. And if you can offer him or her the pure land or the kingdom of God, he will stop running right, right away because uh, he can taste the kingdom of God. He can taste the pure land of Buddha in the here and the now. And then he will stop running after these four kinds of uh, pleasures. Because when you have tasted uh, the real joy, real happiness, you, you no longer run after these kind of things. So, so offering the pure land, offering the kingdom of God, is a great offering. And every one of us can do that. How wonderful. And the Buddha instructs us as how to do it. If uh, something blocked away, we offer the pure land, but the other person is not capable of uh, receiving it. You have the willingness to offer. But the other person, for the time being, does not know, does not want to receive it. Because she is caught in her internal formation. She is feel that she is cut off. She is utterly alone. She, is, she doesn't have any relationship with uh, society, brothers, sisters, teachers ancestors and so on. And she really believed that she is utterly alone. No one loves her. No one understands her. And that, that is uh, the prison, that is the, the hell 
created by her own mind. You are, you are sure that you have love in your heart, that you have the, the willingness to help her. But she called because she, she locked herself into that prison, into that hell. You cannot do anything. She doesn't believe that the air outside is fresh. There are flowers blooming. No matter what you to tell, she doesn't believe because she is in hell, she is in the prison. But that does not mean that uh, you should uh, you should really give up. Because because the fresh air is not just outside. The blue sky is not just outside. It is inside also, inside of her. The kingdom, the pure land, is also inside of her. Her ancestors, her brothers, her sisters, her teacher are still in her. It's just that for this moment, she's not capable of touching. But that does not mean that she will be in that state forever. No. So let us not worry too much about it. One day, she will be able, she will be get tired of being in prison. And she'll be able to touch and she will come back to you, to your teacher, to your brothers and sisters. Don't, don't cry, don't, don't, don't feel bad about it. Because sometimes we need to, to cross the bridge. There are those of us who don't need to cross the bridge. But there are those of us who, are, who have to cross the bridge in order to, to get to, to the other shore. For many of us, we don't need to go to the other shore because the other shore is on this shore already. Có hiểu chưa? Nó là Hồng Niêm. Her name is Hồng Niêm, the color of rose, but inside is no rose. A little bit dark. I think she will come home. Morning. Sangha building. Um, I, um, I also had a dream, <laughs> many dreams actually, many, many of them, and it's very clear to me that, that that is what I'm supposed to be doing in the world. And um, shortly after I had this series of dreams, I helped to build Clearview in Santa Barbara. That didn't work out for financial considerations. And, um, but I'm, the Santa Barbara Sangha is still very strong. But my question is, and this is something I, I, I've been struggling with since Plum Village. Um, where does 
my practice or the practice of any individual intersect with Sangha. I have people come to me in my Sangha. Sometimes there's conflict. Um, not my conflicts, but other conflicts within the Sangha. And you can feel it. It's the Sangha body, so you feel it in your body when that happens. And I don't always know how to deal with them because what happens in the lay community here, you can't really run away. You're here and you have to face it. In the lay community, people have the tendency to escape into their lives. And we ask, oh, let's do a beginning anew. And we, some people show up. Usually the people that have the conflict do not show up. Um, or they show up once and then they never follow up. You know, we say, oh, wait 24 hours and then we'll meet again and they don't want to meet again. And I don't know, my feeling is, can there be harmony in the Sangha when there isn't harmony in the Sangha? If, I, if my practice is strong and I try to be a tree and I just, how, where do I, do I step in? Do I let the people resolve it? I, don't, I just don't know what to do sometimes. The monastic, monastic Sangha has been there for a long time. I have learned quite uh, a lot about Sangha building. And the Vinaya is a vast body of uh, literature recording the experiences of Sangha building in 2,500 years. And it is possible that a monastic Sangha of 300 people living together with harmony, enough harmony and happiness. So it is possible to, to observe and to learn something from the way uh, they live together, they make a decision. Uh, they help each other transform the suffering, they solve conflicts. So there are things that you can learn from the monastic Sangha. Because uh, we monastics, we, are, we have been very lucky because uh, we are able to live together 24 hours a day. And therefore we cannot escape. Uh, if you have a problem, you have to, to solve. Otherwise, uh, uh, you can, um, the Sangha cannot recite uh, the precepts. So you have to settle all conflicts before, if, if you want to have a precept recitation. So I wish that uh, the teaching and the practice about Sangha building uh, um, should be taken up by communities of lay people with the help of uh, monastic uh, members of the Sangha. It is said that if, in order to be a good uh, Vinaya master, you have to learn at least 10 years, more than a lawyer outside. Uh, suppose uh, you learn about the seven ways of uh, settling a dispute, reconciliation, the seven steps of reconciliation. Well, you have to learn. You have to put them into the practice. And then 
then then in the process of learning and practicing you learn more you learn more and you are more skillful in uh, reconciling and that is why the the lay sangha should learn about the vinaya uh, the practice of uh, uh, decision making and so on. Uh, compassion must be the foundation and the practice of deep listening compassionate listening and loving speech uh, should be um, should be uh, uh, the instruments we should use in order to settle conflicts and so on I think there are among us those who really want to be practitioners members of the Sangha, but uh, practitioners, pratikang, and not just nominal. You are a Christian just by baptism, or you are a practicing Christian. It's the same here. So after you have received the five uh, trainings, you have the, the Shila body, the precept body alive in you. You have to nourish it into a strong uh, body, a tree, in order to support you, to make you happy. And you do that together with other members of the Sangha. Um, and your tree continues to grow, and the tree of the Vinaya in other members continue to grow. So you come together as a body of uh, practitioners, not just to learn Buddhism. <laughs> yeah. So it's very crucial that members of the lay sangha come together, even if they don't have uh, a place where they, they can live together 24 hours a day. They have to seek ways in order to come together every week. And every two weeks they have to recite uh, the, the, the precepts. Because they want to be real practitioners. They want to be a real continuation of the Buddha. They want to, to continue the work of the Buddha and bring that into the world. They want to be instruments of the Dharma and the work of the Buddha. That is why every time they cannot come, they don't feel good. Uh, they have to ask of someone to represent them and ask him or her to say that, well, although she, uh, she cannot come, uh, she her heart is holy with the Sangha, and she has uh, tried her best to practice the five uh, mindful, um, mindfulness trainings. And she is ready to, to go get along with all the decisions that the Sangha makes. She will not protest because she trusts the Sangha. So, so if you have that kind of, uh, of a feeling of, this, of um, determination in you, you are a real a wholehearted uh, practitioner. So in your area, uh, there should be a Sangha like that. And if, the, if uh, not, you have to build a Sangha right away where you live. Maybe 10 people, 20 people, 30 people. I was talking about the San Diego Sangha. Those who have uh, received the fire trainings from the park or from Plum Village. Uh, if they consider themselves to be a student of Thai, uh, a member of uh, the fourfold Sangha, a privilege or deeper, they have to come together. Otherwise, 
it's not true. Yeah, so come together and discuss the strategy of Sangha building. The Sangha building, of course, uh, it would be good if you have a center, a place. But if you don't have a place, it's okay. Uh, you, you come to the house of someone, uh, you can come to a practice center like Dipa, and you can do it. Uh, what is important is uh, your determination to do, to live as a practitioner. You call yourself a real practitioner. And you are the core, the core, uh, the heart of the Sangha. And when people look at you, uh, they want to join. Uh, it's appealing. Because you, you have solidity, you have peace, you have brotherhood, sisterhood among yourself. Uh, and that makes you a real Sangha. Without that, uh, it's useless. Everything else is useless. It's meaningless, you see. Like uh, in the uh, in the four, uh, in in one of the Dhamma talks I I offer last week, I said that well, when you come and you have to sit down, you look at each other and you ask the question, is everyone there? And uh, the Sangha convener will say, yes, everyone is there. And you say, is there harmony? It's not for the sake of the form. It's the question of the heart. And the Sangha convener, with, with all her honesty, say, yes, there is harmony. That's not a formula. That is uh, the truth. It's harmony. She has to believe that. And then you ask the third question. Anyone absent? Anyone that cannot come and that has asked uh, someone else to represent him or her and tell that uh, she has done her best in practicing? And then the other people will say, uh, the Sangha said, no, everyone is uh, present. But uh, if uh, there is someone who, who cannot come, and who has asked someone else to delegate, to, to represent him or her. And then that person has to tell the Sangha convener first. And the Sangha convener said, yes. And then he will turn to that person. And the person said, well, my, my brother in the Dharma, whose name is so-and-so, uh, wanted very much to come. But uh, he is uh, prevented by because of bias. So he asked me to represent him and to tell the Sangha that uh, he has uh, practiced well, with, uh, her be- done her best uh, in uh, practicing the Vinaya. So these questions are questions of the heart. And these answers are answers of the heart. And these kind of things build up a Sangha. You are really uh, together as a Sangha. In the case that there are members who, um, who are in difficulties, who are in conflict, they don't want to come. They don't feel the pleasure of being together with the Sangha. We cannot consider them as uh, wholehearted um, practitioners. 
they are not a real member. Because if a real member, they will seek help, seek for help in the Sangha. If they don't want to seek for help in the Sangha, they don't, they don't take refuge in the Sangha. They don't practice. Because the practice is to take refuge in the Buddha, to take refuge in the Dharma, and to take refuge in the Sangha. The Sangha is very concrete. The Sangha, a true one, containing, contains the Buddha and the Dharma. You don't have to be big. You don't have to be a big, big Sangha. If you are 10 or 20, and if you are united at the Sangha, you are happy, you are harmonious with each other, you are a refuge for many of us. And that is the essential of Sangha building, the practice of joy, of peace, of brotherhood. And to have a center or not, that's of secondary importance. If these two persons, they are fun of organizing retreats, and ceremonies, and days of mindfulness, they are not really interested in practicing. And then uh, they are not real members of the Sangha. Real members of Sangha, they want to practice. They, they are eager to transform uh, themselves. They are eager to reconcile. Because if they can reconcile, they can help each other and come back to the Sangha. That is a great, great uh, lesson great offering they can make to the Sangha, but they don't want. So we have to wait until they feel the need. And meanwhile, we can uh, operate as a happy Sangha. We don't need to be big. And uh, every one of us is a practice center. Mindfulness practice center is in here. We can be with our center, we never leave our center. And when we come together, there's a big practice center. Uh, you may sit on the grass, and that is a great center. So to think about money and order to buy a place, that is not the first step. Wow. Good luck. Dear Sangha, you have never been in my dreams. (laughs) So I can't say sitting and talking with you and meeting you is a dream come true. (laughs) But it is a dream come true. I just never dreamed it. (laughs) Um, My question is about negativity. Um, In my work, 
I work with children and adults with very severe disabilities. And I give them voices and ways to write using technology. Um, before I work with them, usually they have had very terrible experiences with a lot of judgment, a lot of prejudice. And while I'm working with them on a daily basis, they experience prejudice. Um, I want to say how the practice is helping with one student. He gets so angry. He's 27 years old with very severe cerebral palsy. He can't talk and a seizure disorder. And he gets so angry that he's trembling and I'm using the practice with him. I told him it's you. <laughs> and he now knows how to take some mindful breathing. And then we come back to the present moment, here and now, where we love each other. But he and my other students want to say things that are very negative. And I'm writing a book. And it is so hard to write the negative parts of the chapters. Before, I have chosen to just write the wonderful things that can happen. But after hearing, please call me by my true names, <laughs> I think I should write the terrible things too. Ah, it hurts to write them. So, do you think I should write a, a beautiful book or a book that is true? <laughs> I think the problem lies in uh, in communication, provided that uh, that you can communicate, that they are ready to listen to you. When you talk to someone who has suffered of that particular kind of suffering. Because of many kinds of suffering. In the beginning you should try to to show him or her or that that you have gone through that kind of suffering. That you understand what it is like. And if you can break through and then you can say anything positive. You can just say the positive things. I always succeed in, 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 uh, with that kind of uh, skillful means. Like when I went to talk to uh, inmates of a prison, heavily guarded. When I look at them, they look at me. Who is that monk coming to talk to us? Does he know anything about the suffering we know here? So I can see that. It was uh, the Maryland Correctional uh, Institute. I could see the anger 
the frustration, the doubt, suspicion in the eyes of people. So right away, I told them about uh, the destruction of a of my hometown. That I was angry. That I suffer. And there is communication right away. And I tell told the difference, I suffer. I was angry. But if I was able to survive my anger, my suffering, because I had the practice. I want to share, to share with you the practice. You see? So the essential point is to, break, to make the breakthrough in the very beginning. You might have to, 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 to touch suffering. But if you succeed in the beginning, you don't have to do it more, uh, anymore. And you can, you, you can uh, continue to water the positive seeds in them. You don't need to water the negativity in them anymore. Because uh, in them there are seeds of uh, happiness, seeds of uh, joy, seeds of uh, forgiveness, compassion. But so far, no one has been able to water this seed to show that they are able to love, to forgive, to be happy. And you are a bodhisattva. Maybe you are the first person who are capable of watering these seeds and show them that they have these good seeds. Before that, they believe that they only have suffering in them. So we have to show them that they have the Buddha nature, uh, the nature of happiness, of nirvana, of the kingdom of God. And if uh, they know how to water these seeds every day, they will transform. Otherwise, uh, sitting and talking about, uh, with them about the, the suffering will only water more the seed of suffering. So, but they need, in the beginning, to show them that we know what is suffering. A beautiful book is a book that can help people to water the positive seeds in them. The seed of non-fear, the seed of uh, forgiveness, the seed of joy, the seed of compassion. And when they see that water, they feel better. They feel better right away. There is a well of fresh water in every one of us, in them. And if you are a good uh, uh, worker, you can help uh, dig the well so that the fresh water will come up, that will heal them, that help heal us also. Because if they are able to smile, you feel much better. If they know how to look with the eyes of forgiveness, you feel much better. So you do that as a, as a social worker. You do that as a writer, an artist, as a filmmaker. You do that as a Dharma teacher, as a practitioner. And this is a very noble thing to do. And you are a continuation of the Buddha. You bring the rain of uh, compassion, the, bra- the, 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 the rain of uh, forgiveness.
and um, you'll be able to help so many people. But uh, don't forget that uh, before you can do that, you have to help yourself. And you have to help the person who is closest to you, your partner, your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife. You can be the continuation of the Buddha. There is a well of fresh water within yourself. Maybe there has been a long time you have not drunk from that well within yourself. So coming to a retreat is to go home to yourself, to realize that you have such a well of sweet water in you, and begin to, to profit from it. And having drunk that kind of fresh water, you come home to your beloved one. She, she has suffered so much. She's full of anger, of frustration, of despair. And when she sees you again, she sees a big transformation. Because you have been able to drink the fresh water of the Dharma. Now you can look at her, you can look at him with eyes of compassion. You don't blame anymore, you have compassion in you. She has, uh, he or she may continue to say very uh, cruel things. Uh, to do uh, things that are not nice. Her, his uh, look is still full of hate and uh, blame. And yet you are not affected because you have drunk the water of compassion and forgiveness. And you allow compassion to inhabit you. And that is why you are a new being, a new person. And with that, you can help transform him or her. But you cannot help him or her before you help yourself. And in our Sangha, there are those who are very experienced on self-help. We know how to do it for ourselves first. And we know that we, after we have done that, uh, we'll be able to help our beloved one. And after that, together, the two make a multitude. The two of us will make a multitude. And you can go out and help so many living beings. No matter how difficult their situation is, there is a way. Because uh, the message is really a message of hope. There is a well of fresh water in every one of them, even if uh, they believe that they are only suffering. Hi, dear Sangha. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, I've been known to be a little bit of a devil's advocate. (laughs) 
After 14 years of Catholic school, I always used to ask my teachers, why was the Virgin Mary virgin? <laughs> um, thought we needed a little laugh. Um, for the last two years, I've been very blessed to be part of a sangha in Oakland um, and to study and read so many of your books, your wonderful books. And um, my question is um, around action, right action. Um, I've been on a quest for the last 10 years to try to figure out my role and my contribution in the world and how to alleviate suffering. For the last four years, I've been working as a community organizer with families that are impacted by the oil industry, living in the shadows of the oil refineries in the Bay Area. Um, I've had tremendous opportunity to, to grow and to learn from a lot of recent immigrants and uh, Latino and Southeast Asian families, um, black families. Um, and in a way, build a sangha. You know, I have about five teenagers and five adults, parents that I work with. Um, and it's been an incredible experience. Um, but I guess my question is how to bring this practice um, into the world, how to bring this practice um, that is so filled with so many different layers and levels of oppression and suffering. Um, in my work, I've, I work with um, an alcoholic. I work with um, a boss who's a sexual addict and drug addict. Um, people who do this work, who have good intention to alleviate suffering in the world and fight for environmental justice and social justice. Um, and with the families that I work with, you know, it's not just environmental and health problems they're suffering from. It's putting food on the table, um, you know, trying to understand language, um, get a job, um, drug abuse, so many different things. And so I guess my question is, I, I, I've learned in my three weeks here so far um, how to touch the seeds of happiness. And I've heard, heard you speak on, you know, living in the pure land and the here and now. And really, I've, one of the reasons I came here was because I knew if I didn't know how to touch the seeds of peace and happiness within myself, I could never help to be any, you know, relieve any sort of suffering in one person, let alone many people or, you know, multinational corporations. Um, <laughs> so this is, I'm just, this is what I'm sitting with. Thank you. Everyone has an idea as how she can be happy, or he can be happy. That idea may be uh, the obstacle for, for their happiness. They think that if they don't get that, get this, get that, they cannot be happy. They think that if they can get rid of this or that, they cannot be happy. 
muscles. So they are caught, most of them are caught. Even uh, people in the government, people who hold very um, uh, whole power can make uh, big decisions. These people also got an idea as how they can be happy, how the country can be really happy. So to be bound, to be caught by our own idea about happiness is a big obstacle. The poor people also, the helpless people also, they have an idea as how to be happy. And they struggle all their life in order to to fulfill, to, to get what they get, or to get rid of what they want to get it. So to removing that kind of idea in the head is a very important job. To help them to get rid of that idea. If you can help a person to get rid of that idea, the happiness can come to him or to her right away. A sample of happiness, a one minute of happiness, is uh, is enough to to give her uh, an idea of freedom, freedom from from that kind of I of thought. Of course, uh, people need uh, more, need uh, good housing, uh, need food, need money, need social justice, and things like that. And many, many of us have spoken uh, of uh, well-being, of happiness in these kind of terms, social justice, and so on. But not many of us uh, speak about happiness as freedom, and not political freedom alone. This freedom is about freedom from our own uh, ideas, from, from our, our anger, our fr- frustration despair. So when you come to them as a free person, it's very essential that you come to them as a free person. You are not caught in your ideas. You are fresh. You have compassion. You are ready to listen. And they, they, feel, they feel right away that you are the pure land. You are part of the pure land. You are part of the kingdom of God. You have the fresh freshness, you have the smile, you have the compassion, because you are free. And if you are not free, you cannot do that. You cannot, uh, you cannot offer them uh, that. And there are moments, that people have the low moments when they suffer so much. But from time to time they have uh, moments that are not so low. And you have to profit from these moments in order to show them the kingdom of God, the pure land of the Buddha, what it tastes like, happiness and freedom. Uh, You have uh, compassion, you have freedom, you can take uh, her hand and you can make a few steps. You can set her free for just half a minute, one minute, you can, you can help her to touch the blue sky, to touch uh, uh, the sunshine, to touch uh, the rain falling, to touch uh, 
the songs of the birds. And you ask, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful to be able to get in touch with these things? Why do we have to to continue to suffer fighting and looking like that? There are moments when people could be free from their anger, from their projects. And if you are able to help them to, in this moment, to touch the joy of being alive, well, you can perform miracles. And you can help such a person to just give up the struggle for one moment. Because that person may have been struggling day and night, even during their sleep. And that is why uh, she has not had the experience of, uh, of, uh, of happiness, of peace, of uh, surrender. And that is why a practice like uh, mindful breathing, mindful walking, uh, stopping, smiling, total relaxation can be very helpful. If you can help them to taste one moment of that kind of stopping, relaxing, they will be able to, uh, to taste it. And if uh, during the time of difficulty, you can persuade him or her to do that, to just stop, to just let go of these things, and to rediscover the peace of being there in the here and now, touching the wonders of life. And then there will be a chance that she or he will do that later on without you. But for the time being, you have to do it to support him or her doing that. That person may have a lot of difficulties with himself, with, with his son or daughter or wife. And yet, uh, with your presence, he or she can experience a moment of, uh, of, uh, of letting go, of touching the wonders of life. And the process of, uh, this is a process of uh, uh, training. Because the habit energy is very strong. You are pushed, pulled away by your habit energy. That is why helping them to recognize that they are being pulled away by the habit energy so that they can smile to their habit energy and, and release that habit energy in order to be free for one minute, half a minute, and to touch the awareness of life. That is a big realization. Because after a person has tasted that, he or she would like to come back to that experience. And that is why I always advise my friends who, who are dedicated in uh, doing social work that uh, it's wonderful to bring them medicines and uh, food and other kind of things. But if you can bring 
the practice, the Dharma, the practice of stopping, of relaxing, of uh, uh, letting go, the practice of uh, being here and now to become truly alive. That, that is the most important. And you have to embody that kind of practice before you can help someone to do so. So I think um, social workers, as we are all social workers, we are monks and nuns and lay people. We want to help. We want to continue the work of the Buddha. And that is why we are all workers, social workers, because we want to engage. Our practice will be engaged practice. And that is why we have to, uh, to embody the practice, the capacity of uh, releasing, letting go, uh, being fully alive in the here and the now. And then we'll be skillful enough to find an appropriate way to bring him, to bring her into our practice. And maybe the first time, half a minute, or maybe one minute. I remember one day I talked to a reporter. He came from San Francisco uh, to interview me. And uh, I invited him before the interview to, to drink tea. To drink tea. Just forget the interview and just enjoy sitting um, uh, at the, uh, among the redwood, redwood trees and just enjoy the tea. And he was able to do so. He was able to forget his interview. Because, uh, Driving all the way through, he was just thinking about the interview. And when he arrived, I, can help, I could help him to forget the interview. And that's why, that is why the interview was good. <laughs> I see. So on, uh, after the interview, I accompanied him to, uh, to, the, to the parking lot. And I took the opportunity to uh, to share with him the joy of walking. Uh, when you walk, you stop uh, thinking. You just uh, enjoy every step, walking like a pure land, in the pure land. And halfway to the parking lot, I stop. And I pointed to the blue sky. And I invite him to practice mindful breathing and smile the blue sky to the blue sky. Breathing in, I see, I really see the blue sky. Breathing out, I smile at the blue sky. After that, he said, hey, this is the first time I see the blue sky. Do you believe? Well, he, he had seen the blue skies, but not like that. He touched the blue sky very deeply. And I think those who suffer a lot, they're also capable of seeing the blue sky. And you are the one who bring the blue sky to them. You are the Buddha. You are the Bodhisattva. You can do a lot. You can transform the world with your practice. And you can get a lot of joy uh, helping people. I think that's enough for today.